Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. So we're coming to kind of to the conclusion of this series, Gifts from the Holy Spirit. And I think, uh, you know, if, if there's been a couple of things that I've wanted to convey, it's knowing what the, the spiritual gifts are. Knowing who the gifts are for. And also knowing how to apply the spiritual gifts. You know that our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And the goal of that is we become disciples who will impact the world with the love of Jesus Christ. And so whenever we come here, whether we go to the youth group or whether we come on a Sunday morning or whether we go to a life group or whatever, we, whatever event we attend, we want to press in to that intimate personal relationship with him and also grow with one another. And, you know, if we... Let me say this, if, if as committed followers of Christ, we can still miss some basic fundamental truths and principles and relational principles that we need to understand. And if we live with spiritual filters that restrict our spiritual view and understanding, we can significantly miss the wonderful purposes and plans that God has for us. And I was thinking about that as I was putting the sermon together this week, and I thought of three things, and there are probably more. Maybe you can think of some things, but examples are uh, brokenness. Can, can have, give us filters, spiritual filters, that, that cause us to not really see God in His glory or receive woundedness. Here's a huge one, rejection. And, and I thought of some results from some of just these three conditions that can bring filters into our hearts, into our lives that, that don't allow us to receive the fullness of everything that God has for us and brokenness. How many of you know people that are just hopeless? And I think a lot of that comes from brokenness. Yaman was telling me that uh, when he lived in New Orleans, there were young men there in their 20s and 30s. Because of the culture and the environment, they really didn't expect to live past 30, 35. You know, okay, so, and, and their two options were either die or spend the rest of their life in prison. There are other options, but there are people that are stuck because of their woundedness or because of whatever that think there is no hope. I'm only going to live to 30 or 35, so I might as well just go all out. Because it's not going to matter. Hopelessness, destructive lifestyles, addictive behaviors. And we see that happening in the world around us. Woundedness. You know, back to brokenness. People trying to fill the void in their life with all kinds of things. I guess in AA they have a, a phrase, you know, talking about a God-shaped hole that you can only fill that void with God. We were created to have this relationship with the Lord. He came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. So we have that. And you look at, I guess, most any culture. They worship something. 
They carve something out of wood or make something out of stone or whatever because we have this inherent desire to connect with the living God. Woundedness. We know people that are extremely wounded. What are some of the results of that? Mistrust. Unforgiveness. That's a big one. I've been wounded. I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm not going to forgive And then unforgiveness turns into bitterness, and there are all kinds of things that come from that. Isolation. I've been wounded. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to silo myself off so that I don't get wounded again. There's a phrase, wounded people wound others. I don't need anyone. I don't need the Lord in my life because I know what that looks like. That results in woundedness and pain. What about this one? Rejection. This is a huge one. People feeling unworthy. Self-fulfilling actions. You know, I'm, I'm going to be rejected, so I'm going to reject first. Mistrust. Or something that we see with people that, that have gone through tremendous rejection is tremendous pain. Walking through life alone, unable to receive love. Do you know people like that that have been so rejected or wounded that they can't even receive love? Even when it's genuine and authentic, they think, oh, there's a motive here. Somebody's going to reject me. They're just showing or acting like they love me, but they really don't because I know that I'm going to be rejected. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to reject them first. I'm going to act like a jerk, and guess what happens? They get rejected. Those are filters that, that cause destruction in our lives. These are three items that can blur our vision of the Lord and who we are. John 10.10, you know, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. But if, if we have a fortress around our heart, how are we ever going to receive the abundant life? How are we ever going to walk in the victory and the fullness that God created us to walk in? The goal of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's, he's being very effective in that. And sometimes the enemy gets credit for for just our own selfishness or our own foolishness. All he has to do is plant a seed and then we run with it and we destroy our own lives. We've seen it. Uh, Maybe you're seeing lives destroyed now. Maybe in your neighborhood, in your family. That's not God's purpose and plan and design for them, for any of us. Sometimes people get caught in a vortex and they just can't get out. They can't escape. Maybe you've been there at some point in your life. Christ alone is our only hope for escape and freedom. But if there's no hope, if we don't know, we need to understand who we are in Christ and who He is in us. And when we come to that understanding... Maybe as we grow in that understanding, it can change our life. It, it changes our perspective on worship. 
And the reason that I wanted to kind of talk about this morning, uh, talk about these things this morning, is because today's topic is on worship. And I love it when we come here like we did this morning and we just get into that worship zone with Him. It's just me and Him. Yes, we're worshiping corporately together and that's powerful, that's important. But to get in that intimate, personal space with Him, a definition, a definition of worship is an act or practice expressing devotion, reverence, and adoration towards God. So we've been talking about over the past, what, 16 or 17 weeks, gifts that we can receive from the Holy Spirit. We've talked extensively about those things in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. If you've missed some of these series, go back and watch those. But especially the last four or five weeks where we've been talking about some of those things that cause such distraction and dissension and division and misunderstanding in the body of Christ, speaking in tongues, a prayer language, prophecy, all of those things. And so we've talked about those things extensively, and it's really not that difficult to understand if we just read the Word. It's pretty clear. But we haven't talked about what can we give the Lord. And an unbeliever or a marginal Christian might, might say, well, why would you come and you worship an unseen God? You know, why would people do that? And if you think about it, it's a good question. I know this, this is going to be really difficult to, to try to grasp and, and understand, but imagine that there is someone in the world that has never seen a cell phone or a phone. I know, okay, try to go with me, all right? I know that's mostly impossible to consider. But anyway, so they see you talking on the phone, and you're like, why are you talking? You're talking into this thing in your hand. There's no one even there. And, you know, there, there are some believers maybe that would why, say, why even pray? God is too busy. He doesn't care about those little things. But it, these two examples would, would show that these people don't have a relationship with the Lord. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you can't have an understanding of why we would come and gather together and worship because we're in God's presence. We're sensing His Holy Spirit. We're giving to Him our worship, a sacrifice of praise. We're willingly connecting with Him. And we worship the Lord because we have a relationship with Him. Through the Holy Spirit, He is present in our life. He, he's here. I, I know, I, I felt Him this morning. I'm feeling Him now. Like that one song from years back, uh, Nicole Mullins, I spoke with Him this morning. <laughs> we can worship Him because we understand all that he has, is, and will do. All that he provides for us. Some people think worship is just singing songs. Do you know people that, well, I don't really care for the music, so I'll just skip that. I'll just go for the message. My goodness, we're missing something if that's our heart and attitude. Because worship prepares our hearts. 
I mean, listen, any time that we have the opportunity to encounter him, why wouldn't we? Worship is something we get to give to the Lord. Imagine your child or your grandchild or somebody comes to you and they say, I just want to tell you how much I love you. You didn't, you didn't give them anything. There was no prompting. How does that make you feel? How do you think God feels when we come into the space and we say, Lord God, I just want to praise you. I just want to thank you. I just want to worship you. But if we don't understand what God has done for us, if we don't have this relationship, what would that be? Just some kind of ritualistic exercise? Something because everybody else is doing it? No. Worship is designed for us to engage with Him. And so many times I think we can see worship become an entertainment What is the difference between praise and worship? Typically, praise is singing about God. Worship is singing to God. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule. But praise and worship should result in our engagement with the Lord. Matt Redman, he he wrote that song, Heart of Worship. And either the pastor or he told the praise and worship team, we're, we're just going to sit down. We're going to go back to just basics, just a guitar and vocals. And if, if you've listened to that song, if you know the lyrics, it's all about you. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. There's nothing wrong with pounding drums and screaming guitars and lights and fog machines. But is that our focus in worship? Or have we lost the sense and the value of what worship is really all about? It's not for us. It's not about our entertainment. Think about, take a couple of seconds and just think about some of your favorite songs. Some of your favorite Christian songs. When you sing that song, are you singing about God? Or are you singing to God? Think about, uh, I would call this a praise song, the old rugged cross. Great song, great hymn. I love that. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And so what is that song saying? It's singing about what Jesus did. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But think about... uh, how great thou art. I think that's more of a worship song. How great you are. How great thou art. You are, you are a great God. And so, again, this is, these are not hard and fast rules, but I want you to kind of understand that the difference between what we consider praise and worship. Think about some of the, the more modern songs. The Lion and the Lamb. Our God is the lion. He's fighting our battles. We're singing about what God has done. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. We sing that song. But think about something like Waymaker. It's more intentionally singing to God. You're here, moving in our midst. I love it when the lyrics get real personal. Instead of we worship you, it says I worship you. It's very personal, right? Right? 
That's where we're pressing in and we're giving God our worship. It's not a generic kind of thing. Oh, we worship you. We bring sacrifice of praise. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Think about make room. I will make room for you to do what you want to do. And so many times when we come together, we're, we're going to go into worship because it's about this personal experience with Him. We're not just singing songs or, or killing time or doing something because we don't have anything else to do. Again, we can, we can worship God in praise. We can worship God in worship. We can praise God in worship. So don't get caught up, oh, well, that's a praise song, so, you know, I'm taking a different approach. No, engage with him. I remember when we were in India at the, uh, uh, last summer, and I didn't know what they were singing, some of the songs. Some of the songs they were singing in English, and we would engage. But some of the stuff, I had no idea what they were singing, but I was worshiping. <laughs> it was funny. They started playing this one song, and I, I looked at, at Pastor Christine, and I said, Really? Jumping Jack Flash? They were playing this song, and it was the exact music of Jumping Jack Flash. And afterwards, I talked to the praise and worship leader. I said, have you ever heard of the Rolling Stones? And he's like, yeah. I said, have you ever heard the song Jumping Jack Flash? And he's like, no. I said, let me play it for you. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the song is. It doesn't matter if I care for the genre of music. It's not about that. It's about our heart to engage with Him. And so some songs incorporate both singing about God and to God. I can tell someone how deeply I love and care about my wife. But it's different when I tell her, I deeply love you and care about you. Praise and worship is less about the song or style and more about the engagement with our heart. I remember we have a, a friend, and she's from the Philippines. And she said they would go there, and they would be worshiping. And the musical instruments were not very high quality, and, you know, maybe eight or ten bars in a song, the guitar's out of tune. You know, people may not have been singing on key. <laughs> but you know what? They were worshiping. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. When we, look at, when we look at the letters that Paul is writing to the early church, who's he writing to? He's writing to the believers. He's writing to people that are coming into this relationship with Christ. Let's look at Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Now, we've probably read that scripture, you know, many times. And we give our bodies to God because of all He's done for us. Okay, what do we naturally think of when we think of that? What He's done for us? Well, He stepped down from heaven, came to a sin-filled earth, walked this earth, Loved people, demonstrated love, did miracles, all of those kinds of things. Then he went and he died on the cross, taking on all the sins for all of humanity. Then he rose on the third day like he said he would. 
proving that he not only conquered sin, but he also conquered death. And then he ascended to heaven where the word says that he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us and he sent the Holy Spirit. That's what we think of probably when we think of give our bodies to God for all he's done for us. But this Greek word done is ikterimos. And what it means is compassion, mercy, pity. We were completely lost in our sinful state, but Jesus had great compassion and mercy and pity on us and gave his life as a ransom. Consider feeling sorry for someone and having great compassion toward them. Have you ever seen somebody, a street person or something like that? And you don't know their story, you don't know the history, but you have compassion on them? I believe that's how Jesus felt about us. He looked down and saw us in our sad state and had compassion. Not just for us in this room, but for all of humanity. The drug dealer, the pimp, the child molester. (sighs) I struggle with that one. The abuser. The people that can't see the truth, the reality, the love of God because of the filters in their hearts and lives because they've been so damaged and abused. And I think Jesus looked down and said, I'm going down there to restore them to this relationship. He had compassion by providing a way to be released from our traps. He demonstrated his compassion for us. Why would he do this? Love. Love was the motivation. His compassion, his love, his freedom for us. That's the reason we come and worship him. That's not just to sing a song. It's not just because everybody else is doing it. Years ago, we had a hotshot delivery service where my wife would be out on the road and delivering things to the oil field or, you know, different places. And uh, one day she was driving down this dirt country road to a rig or somewhere, and she saw a goat that had gotten stuck in the fence. And not only was one horn stuck, both horns were stuck in that fence. And she said, I can't just drive by and leave this goat like this. So she got out, and, and I guess maybe he was trying to get to grass on the other side of the fence, and somehow he got one horn caught, and then he got the other. And so she was able to, to free that goat. Due to her compassion. She said that the goat wasn't real happy. Have, have you ever tried to set an animal free from a trap or something and they try to bite you? They're scared. And you're just trying to help them. Do we bite the Lord when he tries to help us? Do we understand how much he loves us that sometimes he saves us from our own devices? The people in the world know that. Oh, he's just trying to judge me. God doesn't love me. 
Maybe he's trying to save you, man, physically, spiritually. Do we ever resist the Lord's help? Are there, are there filters in our lives that are keeping us from coming into this personal, intimate relationship with him? We probably know people that have been abused by their earthly father. And you start talking about a heavenly father, like, oh, no, I don't want anything to do with this father thing. I know what father means. Abuse, neglect, rejection. That's not the heart of our heavenly father. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. We see the motivation and all Jesus has done for you and me. His compassion, his pity, his mercy toward us is more than we can imagine. I'm not sure that we're able to understand the fullness and the gravity of his love and of his sacrifice for us. I don't think we can fully grasp holiness because we live in a world that's unholy. And we are made holy and righteous by the blood of Christ. But to, live, to be in an environment like heaven where it's holy, where there's no sin, there's no sickness, there's none of that. I don't know that we can fully understand. Paul says, I wish, even though it's too difficult for you to understand, that you could understand the depth, the height, the breadth of God's love. And so we can experience God's love on the level that we're able to, but I don't think that we can fully grasp and understand the depth of God's love. And if we don't know where we come from, if, if we think, oh, well, I'm a good person, I haven't killed anybody, I haven't robbed a bank, our righteousness on our own is, is as filthy rags. But thank God for Jesus who washed us with the blood of Christ. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. When we believe not of our works that anyone should boast, it's only through the righteousness of Christ that we are made righteous, that we are brought into right standing with God because Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins. We don't know what that's like. I can't even imagine all, just take all of my sins and put them on Jesus. Not to mention the billions of other people. And, and so that's why it's about this relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about, you know, doing, jumping through all these hoops. We need to come to this understanding of who Christ is, what he's done, that we can really engage and worship him because we understand what he's done. Because we have this authentic relationship with Him. Paul goes on. Well, let me read the, this again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Let them, let them, what, what's them? Our bodies. Be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable, the kind that He is pleased with. Not because we're caught up in religion and we have to, you know, dot every I and cross every T, but because we have this relationship with Him and we desire to connect with Him. We desire to please Him. We desire to walk in the power, the dominion, and the authority that we can walk in when we're connected to the vine, to the source, that when we're severed, we don't have. 
God is there for us. Think about the times when we've willingly done something. Is, did God leave us? No, God didn't leave us. Well, what are some of the things that we deal with? We deal with guilt and shame. We pile all those things on ourselves. That hinders our relationship from when we're just plugged into the source and we're just flowing in Him. Again, it's, it's not about our performance. We're saved by grace, not by our performance. We could never do anything to, to perform well enough. The great news is we could never do anything bad enough to be disqualified. <laughs> do we live a life that honors God? This is only important if we have a relationship with Him, right? Because if we don't have a relationship with God, I don't care if I honor God or not. What does it matter? But to those of us that have an intimate, personal relationship with Him, it does matter. My first point this morning is worship brings God's presence. Our worship invites the Lord into our space. Our worship demonstrates our connection, love, and appreciation. I believe that our level and intimacy of worship is a direct reflection on our relationship with Him. Worship shifts our focus to the Lord. Because we can easily become fixated on ourselves. Our lives should be a lifestyle of worship, not just singing songs. What do we say every Sunday? Go out and live it. Because nobody wants to hear it. They want to see it. They want to see some people walking like believers, looking different from the world around us, acting different. It doesn't matter our social status. It doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how many toys we have. At the end of the day, what matters is our relationship with Him. Psalm 140.13, Surely righteous people are praising Your name. The godly will live in Your presence. Psalm 89.15, Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of Your presence, Lord. There's, there's a connection here with worship and His presence. So my first point is worship brings God's presence. My second point this morning is worship brings God's power. Worship is one of our weapons of warfare. In Second Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat was told that a number of armies had come together and they were going to attack them. And he was terrified. And he called the people, he said, let's fast, let's seek the Lord. And he said, we can stand in the temple in your presence and cry out to you, Lord. See, there's something that Jehoshaphat understood about worship and about trusting God. And he said, you hear us and you rescue us. We are powerless and looking for your help. These armies are coming and they've come to destroy us. But the Lord spoke to a prophet. 
And so, again, you know, we've been talking about the gifts from the Holy Spirit. We've talked about how Paul said, I, I speak in tongues more than any of you, but I wish you would all prophesy. Prophecy is vital. It's important. So let's go to 2 Chronicles 20, 15 through 17 and 20 through 25. And so this is what the prophet told, told them. He said, listen, all of you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Prophecy requires an element of boldness. Prophecy requires an element of trust that you're hearing from the Lord. Is this you, Lord, or is this too much pizza from last night? But we, we come into this intimate place with Him where we know His voice, we hear His voice, we recognize His voice, we can differentiate His voice from our voice, the voices of the world, all those other voices. And he says, listen, all of you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. Listen. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And then he says, tomorrow... March out against them. Now, you know, we could read this and we're like, okay, well, why didn't the Lord just destroy their enemies? Why didn't he just say, go ahead and lay back in the hammock and relax, I'm going to take care of it? Because God was teaching them something. God was teaching them about walking in faith. God was teaching them about trusting Him. Maybe. The Lord is speaking to us today as well. Do we trust Him? Are we walking in faith? Verse 16 continues. If you find them... uh, No, he says, You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up into the wilderness of Jerel. So the Lord is telling them, Go... But he's also giving them insight of what's happening. Remember we talked about the scripture where Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come and tell you of things to come. He will tell you the things that I give him. And so here we see an example of where this prophet is speaking forth the words of God and he's saying, I'm I'm telling you, I'm giving you insight to know where they're coming from and what to do. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Do you ever need some insight from the Lord? Verse 17. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. So they trusted the word of the prophet. So that's why I said a few weeks ago, if someone has a word of prophecy, they're gonna it's gonna go through a gatekeeper, it's gonna go through a leader here, it's gonna go through Pastor Christine or me, because we don't just let anybody speak to us. We need to make sure that it's the spirit of Lord speaking through a person. And so they trusted the word from the prophet. There was probably a history that they had. This was not some guy that just showed up, hey, I'm a prophet. I've I've got a word for you. 
when you're a king and you're leading a country, a group of people, you better make sure that that's from the Lord. So they trusted the word of the prophet. They trusted God. They believed God. They obeyed. And then the king and, and the people bowed down and, and they worshipped. I'm, I'm not reading all, all of that. But they bowed down and they worshipped. Faith will require action. And when we press into God, there's a peace there. Have you ever had to make a decision and you're like, man, I don't know what to do. And then you just begin to worship, spend time with the Lord, and maybe you get peace. And maybe, maybe even you get some insight of what God's going to do. So verse 20, early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in the prophets, and you will succeed. What do you think would have happened if they wouldn't have gone? What do you think would have happened if they would have got there and they would have seen this huge army and taken off running? Jehoshaphat was encouraging the people to exercise faith over fear. As we begin to trust God, as we have this relationship and we walk in faith, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. When we have a word from God, we just press on because God can part the sea. God can move the mountains. God can change our perspective. God can give us faith and trust in Him to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 21. After consulting the people, the king appointed the singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor. They trusted the Lord and began to praise and worship Him. Not knowing what the future looked like. Not knowing what they were about to encounter. Because they knew that their God was bigger than any of that. Listen, they had the history. They've, they'd been delivered from Egypt. They'd crossed through the sea. They'd been provided for in the desert. They had come into the promised land. And God had eliminated or pushed back some of their enemies. Sometimes they still had to fight. Right? Because he wanted them to know how to fight. Sometimes we need to know how to fight. <laughs> Verse 21 continues. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. They could have been singing something like, We're scared. We don't want to run, God. Help us. <laughs> you know, they could have sung a lot of things. And that's why when we come together and we're worshiping and we're making these declarations... I'm hearing myself sing. I'm hearing myself make these declarations. I'm hearing my neighbor make declarations. My neighbor's hearing me make declarations. The host of heaven is hearing the people of Life Fellowship make declarations. It not only changes us, our perspective, our heart, it changes the atmosphere around us. So they trusted the Lord and they began to praise and worship Him. At that very moment, 
when they began to sing, at that very moment it says, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. How does that happen? Praise is powerful. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? <laughs> so when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies laying on the ground as far as they could see. All I did was bow down. All I did was praise. All I did was worship. All I did was stand still. Oh, I sent a few singers out in the blue jean jackets and the skinny jeans out to sing. But God did it. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. So what did they do? They trusted, they obeyed, they worshiped. They thanked God. Have any battles? Maybe we should do the same. Verse 25, King Jehoshaphat and the men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. So not only did they win the battle, or God won the battle for them, now they had all this plunder. Verse 25 continues, there was so much plunder it took three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered together to give praise and thanks to the Lord. There are times when, well, we all have a rough day, right? Maybe a rough week sometimes. And there have been times when I know that I'm under spiritual attack. I mean, I, I just know it. It, it. it happens. And when it happens enough, you begin to recognize what that's like. And typically, when I'm under attack, I don't feel like singing any praise and worship today. I don't want to hear any praise and worship today. Don't talk to me. I'm having a bad day. But here's what I can tell you time after time after time. I turn on the radio or put on some praise and worship. That thing will break. I remember one time we were going, traveling up north to minister to a couple that was, were having marital problems. And I was under attack. And she was trying to talk to me. I don't want to hear anything. Don't quote any scripture. Don't talk to me. I don't want to, I don't want to hear any praise and worship. I just want to be mad. <laughs> Turned on the radio. And I'm still seething. But then something happens in my heart. Where all that frustration or whatever that stuff was just lifted. And I'm telling you, when we come into a place where we are just pressing into God, the enemy cannot stay. The flesh cannot stay in those places. Because it's not all about us, it's all about Him. And there's something that breaks. So try it. Next time you're having a bad day, and I'm not speaking that over you, but we will have those days, right? Turn on some worship and just engage with Him. Even when you don't want to. Even when you don't 
feel like it, even when you don't see it, God is working. And watch and see what happens in your heart. So worship brings God's presence. Worship brings God's power. Worship brings God's freedom. I don't have to figure everything out. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to fix her. I don't have to fix myself. I can't fix myself. I've tried all these years. But I just need to spend time with you, Lord, and let you speak to me today about what you want me to receive from you this minute, this hour. When we engage in worship, there's an encounter that touches our soul. Chains can be broken. Addictions can be severed like that. We can encounter a deep presence of the Lord. We can experience supernatural peace, healing, forgiveness. Whatever it is we really need can be found when we get into that place with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. In Luke 4.18 and 19, Jesus spoke this prophetic word over himself from uh, quoting Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So Isaiah was writing prophetically about Jesus, and then it continues. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. There's so much more I could say about worship. When we started Life Fellowship, I did like an eight or ten week series on worship. But here's the point. I want us to continue to press into him. Worship brings God's presence. Worship brings God's power. Worship brings God's freedom.